then this evening, uh, we're, I'm going to go back to Daniel. Uh, for those that were here last week, I mentioned this. Uh, I started reading Daniel a couple weeks ago for a Bible study uh, that we're doing, and uh, I got uh, so enraptured by the book of Daniel that, that what I had originally thought I was going to come here to preach, I, I gave that up, and I thought, I want to stick with Daniel and uh, so we're going to, it's nice that I get to be here two weeks in a row. Uh, we get to go through the second half of the first chapter of Daniel. It'll be verses 8 through 21. And I'll just set it up a little bit by talking about uh, the first part that we looked at. Uh, what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, came and uh, overtook Jerusalem, Judah, and uh, the wicked uh, King Jehoiakim. Uh, God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is a smart man, and he knew what uh, he wanted to do. And so he went and got some of these youths from uh, Jerusalem or from Judah, and he brought them to Babylon. And, and this basically the playbook of Babylon, uh, as we talked a little bit last week about how Babylon is, is symbolic, really, of the worldly ways uh, and and we see that throughout scripture and and what he was going to do then is he brings these youths in and he isolates them gets them away from any good influence they can get in Judah certainly get them away from the temple so they don't worship their God and learn of their God uh, then he indoctrinates he wants them to think like Babylonians he's going to teach them how Babylonians think and how they live uh, he'll get them to try to compromise a little bit. And we'll talk more about that uh, in just a minute. Try to get them to compromise. Um, and then confuse them. Confuse their identity. He takes away their names that reflected the true God and gives them these other names that reflect idols, other gods, and, and confuse who they are and forget that they're children of the true God. Well, Daniel knows or know whose he is. He is God's child. And we are God's children, those of us who believe in Christ, purchased uh, by the blood of Christ. And, and so Daniel knows that he's a child of God and he's going to act like it. And that's where we'll pick up the story here. It's in Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. 
At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke with them and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And as we look at this word, we pray that your truth will sink deep into our hearts and we will be grown as as servants of our great God and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a lot of, not a lot, but some stores uh, have this uh, Christmas in July thing that happens. It's it's an excuse to get a, a sale. Uh, and some radio stations will play Christmas music in July. I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, but uh, it's this Christmas in July idea, and, and I just thought of that because I heard a Christmas song, and, and I thought, well, I can, I can go with that theme, and if nothing else, I'll just mention Christmas, and it'll make us feel a little cooler uh, in the heat of July. And so I thought, uh, the Christmas story. I don't know if you remember that movie from 1983, uh, this movie about a boy, Ralphie is his name, and he lives in Indiana. And uh, Ralphie wants this BB gun. Uh, He wants this Red Ryder carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle. I had to look it up because I'd forgotten what it was. Uh, But it's this BB gun. And he, everybody he tells that he wants this BB gun, they all tell him the same thing. Well, you're going to put your eye out. He even goes to the store and, and they're Santa Claus. And so he goes to Santa Claus and talks about this Red Rider carbon action BB gun he wants. And Santa tells him, you'll put your eye out. Everybody tells him that. And, uh, but he really wants this. And in the movie, he's got this, uh, every now and then it'll cut away to, he's, he's daydreaming and, and how he's going to be a hero uh, with this BB gun that he dreams of getting. He's going to defend his home, and and he's got all these uh, imaginations going on about being this hero. And as a former boy myself, I I relate to that feeling of standing there and daydreaming how when you grow up, you're going to be a hero. With me, it wasn't so much a BB gun. I was going to hit home runs in the World Series and catch touchdown passes in the Super Bowl, and I would stand in the yard and daydream about that, uh, when in reality I should have been lifting a weight or something, you know, do something to actually be an athlete rather than just daydreaming. But, you know, daydreams are kind of fun. 
And a lot of us have daydreams, especially when we're young, of being heroes. Well, we have Daniel and his friends, and, and they're youths. They're young, and they end up being heroes. They do some very heroic things. There's lion dens, and there's fiery furnaces that they're going to be faced with, and, and other things. It's more than just a daydream to them they end up doing some really neat things. And we see in this passage what it is that leads them to that. And we see right away in verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He wants to do things for God. He knows he is God's child. And eating food might seem like a small thing, and it doesn't even say why he wouldn't want the king's food. It doesn't say that it was offered to idols. It doesn't say that it was unclean food. or It doesn't really say, but Daniel understood, I'm just not going to eat the king's food. I'm not going to compromise, live the good life. And he resolved, I'm not going to do this. He knew that for some things, or for the child of God, that there are some things that cannot be negotiated, cannot be compromised. Sinclair Ferguson writes, in many ways, his usefulness in the kingdom of God throughout the rest of the book depends on this single decision. He resolves himself not to defile and it's in the most trying of circumstances. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar just came in and embarrassed Judah. It wasn't just that he overtook them, but he embarrassed them. He took the, the treasures from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of his gods. It was a complete victory. And it was an embarrassing victory. Daniel, under these circumstances, is not going to defile himself. He's not going to wait until he's in a better position. You know, maybe if I hang around a little bit and, and I'll just go along with them a while and then when people like me, then I'll make my stand. When I have a better social standing, if I get before the king, that's when I'll really resolve. No, right away, he resolves himself he resolves that he will not defile himself. Because he knows, as one theologian writes, how can you confess him later as Savior and Lord when the one thing you have failed to allow him to be for you is Savior and Lord? And he said, if God is my Savior and my Lord, he's going to be my Lord right now even in this small matter. And he doesn't leave his actions to some spur-of-the-moment response. He knows that as a human, he's too weak for that. I'll just make it up as I go. I'll decide what's really wrong and what's kind of wrong as I go along the way. He knows he's too weak for that, and sin is too subtle for that. He just makes this resolution, I will not defile myself. 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 101, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And that's where Daniel's at. He could have said, you know what? You bring in the food and just set it on that table. I'm not going to eat it. But go ahead and bring it in and and set it at that table. And it's easy for us to have that kind of relationship with some sins. You know what? Just keep it right there out of arm's length. But for Daniel, that's not good enough. Don't even bring it in here. I don't want that worthless stuff in front of my eyes. He's resolved, which means he takes action. I'm just not going to allow this in my life. And so he talks to the eunuch about it. And notice as he talks to the eunuch his modesty, uh, his respect for the eunuch. After all that's been done, Daniel could have been bitter. He could have lashed out at the eunuch, called his king a big fat doofus and he doesn't want his food anyhow. He could have said all kinds of things. But he understands this when you look in verse 9, that God gave Daniel grace in the eyes of this eunuch. God gave Daniel favor and compassion. And Daniel understands that. That this chance to play out this this resolve not to defile himself is, is a gift from God. So he knows the eunuch will listen. And and in verse 12, he he asks to to let, let our uh, appearance uh, be seen after after this test. Test your servants for 10 days. And the ESV leaves out a word in there, and I'm not quite sure why they did. They leave out the word please. Every other version I saw has the word please in there. Uh, the King James Version, I think, says, I beseech thee or something like that. But, but there is this please, and it's in the Hebrew. I'm not sure why the ESV left it out. Please test us. There's this humility, this, this humbleness with it. And he explains the situation. You notice that. He says, okay, here's what's going on. He explains the situation and and his resolve that he doesn't want to defile himself with this food. And then he's sympathetic to the eunuch's position. The eunuch is kind of out on a limb here. If this doesn't turn out, well, then the eunuch's going to have to answer, why are these guys looking so bad? And, And he understands that. He shows that you don't have to be obnoxious to be faithful okay we can work together here we'll we'll work on this his faithfulness extends not only in this resolve and in this determination but also in the way and he stands as he stands firm the the spirit in which he stands firm he never takes his anger out on the eunuch and in a way when we look at Jesus, you know, he took this idea of not lashing out to a whole new level. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's, that's where Daniel's at here as well. He understands, I, I, I'm not the judge of this eunuch, but this eunuch is willing to work with me. I'm not his judge, but, but let's do this, this test, and, and I know that God will show himself faithful. And it's a fair test when you look at what he's asking here. For 10 days, that's all he said, 10 days. And Daniel's the one that proposes it. For 10 days, I'm not going to eat this food. Just give us vegetables and water. And then let's see what happens. If nothing else, at least he's not going to defile himself for 10 days. And then they can think of something if they have to after that. But Daniel makes this, this offer, and the eunuch listens to it. And, and notice as Daniel suggests this test, the, the expectation he has in God. God is going to be faithful one way or another. You know, there may have been in the back of his mind this idea, but you know, we may not look great at the end of this. You know, it may not work out exactly as I'm thinking. And in fact, uh, Daniel's three friends, they have that experience in, ja- in, in Daniel chapter 3, uh, just before the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar's got this furnace going, and he's just make it hotter, keep making it hotter, keep making it hotter. And, and then he, he says, you think your God can save you from this hot of a furnace? And, and basically they, they say, uh, God is able to deliver us from this furnace, But if not, we still won't be worshiping your gods. They're they're resolved not to worship his gods. And and you know what? We know God can save. But even if he doesn't, the end result is I'm still not worshiping your God. You still lose Nebuchadnezzar either way on this one. And so Daniel said, "Let's, let's do this test. He's living for God's glory He's resolved himself not to, not to defile himself. Has this faith in God and this humble confidence that God is going to act. Now, I am willing to say that sometimes we can turn this idea of confidence of faith into manipulation you may have seen this uh, where someone says, you know, if I just persuade myself that something's going to happen, it, it will happen. Kind of the uh, name it and claim it type thing. If I just keep saying it's going to happen, it will happen. The, the, the problem with that kind of thing is we tend to focus on ourselves when we go to, down that road on what we want and not on what's glorifying to God. Once again, notice Daniel's test here. I'm not going to defile myself, so just keep that food away from me. If if it were the other way, if you were trying to manipulate God somehow, it would have been more along the lines of, well, you know what, give me me that king's food and, and I'll eat of it. And if God doesn't want me to eat, well, then God will take it away. But the test isn't that. The test is this. Just don't even bring the food. And God will act. This is for God's glory. 
I'm not trying to manipulate anyone. But I do want to see what God does when I do not defile myself. And I want you all to see what God does when I won't defile myself. And so Daniel and his four friends, they don't. They eat the vegetables and the water, and, and this is not an ode to the benefits of a vegetarian and water diet. It has nothing to do with that. This is God's blessing. You notice in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill and wisdom, and they looked better and were healthier. God gave them that. And Daniel knows that and sees that. Everybody can see that. The eunuch sees it. Nebuchadnezzar can see it. All, all who are there can see it. And, and, uh, and it works out. And here's what's going to happen for Daniel and his friends. The trials are going to increase. The temptations are going to increase. But the long-term effects of this trial, this simple trial... I'm just not going to eat the king's food. It seems like a small thing. But being prepared in these small things will teach them to trust God even more and to grow in obedience even more. And a lot of times when we get trials and temptations in our lives, it's easy for us to think of them as isolated events, almost as though we're running a track meet, and they're just hurdles. I'll clear this hurdle, and then I'll keep running. And then there's another, and I'll, I'll keep that. Just isolated events along the way. And what we don't really understand sometimes is how God uses all of these trials and all of these temptations and, and uses them in, in the biography of our lives as he grows us and forms us and directs us and builds our character. God invests in our lives in order to strengthen us and make us useful in his kingdom, as he did with Daniel and his friends. He does that because he's already made the greatest investment for us the blood of his son who died on a cross and we are God's children. We're not bought with silver or gold or anything else that can be stolen or fades away but by the eternal blood of Christ made the greatest investment in us and he continues to grow us. And Daniel and his friends, as I've mentioned, they're going to face furnaces and lions, and, and they've got other things uh, as you read through the book of Daniel. And as I said, they come out as heroes. Do some very heroic things, but this kind of heroism, this kind of godliness doesn't develop overnight. It's not formed in a vacuum, but it's forged by the tests and trials in their lives. By seeing God's hand at work 
in their lives, being faithful and being obedient, even in the small things, even in this. Someone once wrote, true faithfulness in scripture is first exercised in small things and in private. If we fail there, any faithfulness we show in public will be hypocrisy, a performance for the crowd and not an expression of loyalty to our Lord. May we resolve, resolve, I love that word, not to defile ourselves. Even in the small things, knowing knowing that God uses it all to grow us for bigger things. Use us for his usefulness. He's already made the greatest investment in us. He's given us his son. And we are his children. And our hope and our glory is not just a daydream. Our hope and our glory is secure in God. And it's all of his doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the security we have in Christ. We thank you for guiding us through the trials and through the temptations as you continue to grow us in usefulness. Continue to grow us that we can see you more clearly day to day And Lord, we do pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts, that we can continue to grow into eternity, that we get to spend with you because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who made us your children. We thank you for that, and we pray in that glorious name of Jesus.